Welcome to the Ed Milet Show, the place for winning. Period. Welcome back to Max Out. I'm Ed Milet, and this gentleman straight across from me here was one of the first people when I started my show that I reached out to that I wanted on here because I think he's an incredible human being. And so he's an MMA fighter, he's a humanitarian, but I would call him a world changer. He's a guy that's maxing out his life and uh, changing so many other people's lives across the globe. So we're going to get into a formal introduction as I ask you questions, but Justin Wren, thank you for being here. Thank you, Ed. It's, uh, man, so, so stoked to be here. Yeah, yeah. Really, I, you know how fired up I am and, and grateful too. So thank you for being here. Um, everybody, I just want you to know, this is going to be a ride for the next hour that you're going to enjoy so much. And I'm excited because I already know in advance is going to change your life. I already know you're going to want to share this with other people and that you're going to be touched and moved and compelled, hopefully, to take some action yourself. So this big, strong guy right here is a teddy bear, and he's a giver. And um, you're going to know this in about two minutes. So I want to step back to the beginning. Um, Justin's involved in a whole bunch of other things. Not only is he, and by the way, when I say MMA fighter, this guy was with the UFC. He was on the Ultimate Fighter. He's fighting for Bellator right now, 13-2 and two career record. I mean, this is a legitimate big-time athlete, and it's ironic when someone's that successful in a sport, and it's not even remotely close to the things I'm the most impressed with about you. It's the caliber of man you are and what you've done with your life and how, frankly, vulnerable and open you are about your battles and tribulations, too. So I want to kind of go back a little bit if we can too. Yeah. I want to I want to talk about the young young Justin just a okay. little bit, okay? Because one of the causes that I'm passionate about that you're involved in fully now is bullying. Mm-hmm. And I want to talk about you as a child. So, were you this confident and successful as a as a young guy at say 10, 12, 13 years old? Were you like this? No, absolutely not. I and first, I'm just so humbled to be here. So <laughs> grateful uh, to be with you, your audience. This is uh this is a highlight for me, Wonderful, for sure. Man. This is Wonderful. amazing. Uh, but no, uh, growing up was really, really tough, mm-hmm. um, like for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. But for me, um, uh, depression set in at 13 years old. I was clinically diagnosed with depression because I grew up getting very heavily bullied. And so from the age of 8 until 15, um, I, you know, I sat at the lunch table by myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got pelted in the back of the head with uh, chocolate milk spit wads or, or food or, or fist. Um, I, I grew up with uh, tubes in my ears a lot, so it was hard for me to hear. So um, and then I had a speech therapist from mm. kindergarten to sixth grade, really intensive from kindergarten to second grade, mm. um, but then all the way through sixth grade. And so couldn't pronounce words right, got teased because of that. Um, Were was, you this big? Were you always a big guy? Uh, I was always heavy set, okay. and so I was uh, pretty chunky. And okay. I might have been the last kid in the United States that had a chili bowl haircut where, <laughs> oh where my parents God. would put, you know, the bowl over my head and just cut around. But were you also one um, of the bigger kids, I mean? No, actually, were... I had a growth spurt sophomore year. Got it. Um, so okay. I, I was shorter and wider. Got it. Uh, is what I was. Okay. Um, and I just remember going to school and kids uh, treated me different. And mm. um, there was some notorious uh, bullies uh, in, in elementary school and then really ramped up in middle school. And they would pull my shirt up in front of the, the girls and slap my belly or twist my nipples or call mm-hmm. me fat or act like they're throwing a harpoon because I'm the size of a whale and um, all sorts of different stuff. But, but it got to the point where it was very, very premeditated mm-hmm. um, and very hurtful in mm-hmm. a way where uh, in, in, in high school, or sorry, middle school, um, there's a Texas tradition and it's um, 
homecoming. And so homecoming's everywhere, but we have something where we have chrysanthemums, where we call them homecoming mums, that we would get uh, for a date. It'd be like a big fake flower. Now they look like, your crowd's got to go Google this. Okay. Texas homecoming mums. Okay, Google Because it, it is ridiculous. Okay. It is, okay. it's a terribly gaudy. Right. I mean, it, the, the girls now look like parade floats. Mm. Literally, if they're this big, the fake flower, and it'll have their school mascots in it. Really? And it'll have bells and whistles. They'll have LED lights with speakers that are, <laughs> that are going to the thing. Okay. I mean, it's wild. The okay. girls will have to wear something around their neck and a back brace just to keep them standing. Oh, my gosh. Um, okay. it's, it's wild. But I remember saving up uh, to buy my date um, uh, a homecoming mom, and I remember spending my entire allowance on it uh, and thought I'd really impress her. Her name was Jessica. And Did it take a lot for you to ask somebody? Yeah, absolutely, because uh, I was going through bullying. I had no confidence, mm. um, and I spoke funny. And just mm. so just to muster up the courage to ask her, was it mm. took everything in me. Mm. Um, I remember I also bought her a locket uh, around her neck, and, mm. um, and she appreciated that, she said. Um, and then we went to the homecoming game, and I get there, and she's got the streamers on it that say Justin and Jessica and the year, and... Um, I'd spent my allowance on it. We're, we're there. Our team's winning. We're up in the back of the, the, the bleachers. And then I remember uh, my notorious middle school bully named Justin, same name as me, walking up, putting his arm out, Jessica immediately putting her arm around his, and then him looking at me and saying, uh, you didn't think she'd really come here with you, did you? Um, he grabbed Justin and Jessica and said, thanks for getting this for her. Um, and then they start walking away, and I remember just the, the laughter of... Uh, the entire stadium uh, laughing me out of there and me crying on my way out. Oh, um, then the next year it started to magnify and get, get even it worse. worse than that. It, got, it got a lot worse than that. Um, I mean, physically getting beaten up in the uh, locker room, um, getting hit with a helmet, a football helmet uh, that, that made me quit the football team. So, can um, I just, let me just say something to you. So, you start out, I just want to get a picture yeah. of this. So there's so many, by the way, parents listening to this right now that need to hear this because mm. some of your children aren't telling you that this is happening. Right. And then there's a lot of children that are going to listen to this too. And I think one of the lessons we'll talk about in a minute is you need to tell somebody. Yeah, for sure. But this, you're this little boy, roughly from about eight years old. By the way, I had tubes in my ears. I relate to that. Yeah. Uh, I know how awkward that is. We're both, by the way, born on April 27th. Oh, too. wow. Yeah, no, hey, that's awesome. Yeah, me 17 years after you, but same thing. But... <laughs> Starting at eight years old, it's funny for me how visuals happen, just because I'm, I'm weird that way. I picture worse than the bullying, the, the actual the kids hitting you. It's, it's strange, I just want to tell you, it's the, me picturing this poor little boy sitting alone at lunch. Right. And everyone else is talking, having their conversations, and I, I was that boy a few times. I know the shame of sitting there alone, yeah. feeling so alone, so mm. lonely. And the worst thing in the world is to feel that alone in a crowd of people. Right. And everyone else seems normal. Right. And... Um, so I just picture that happening to you. And so this happens basically every day for years mm -hmm. to you for the most mm -hmm. part, right? Would Sitting you... at the lunch table by myself was yeah. often, mm -hmm. very often. Um, I did find a group uh, to get with, but they were more of like the gothic kids. And yep. um, and it started to scare me because I remember actually, uh, I mean, I clicked with them, mm -hmm. but then it started getting darker and darker mm -hmm. to, to the point to where they would grab frogs and take uh, black cats or, or mm -hmm. those uh, fireworks and put them down their mouth and blow them up and just angry, angry kids. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I kind of withdrew from that because I started mm -hmm. getting kind of scared. These, they were guys that would start cutting themselves mm -hmm. and everything else. And I just, it was a dark place. But then the next year in eighth grade, um, I got invited to uh, Jennifer's birthday party. Mm -hmm. And Jennifer was my biggest 
crush, whether it was elementary, middle school, high school, mm. it was Jennifer. Mm. And um, I remember uh, just being so excited to go to a birthday party. Uh, mm. Invitations were being passed out at school. And uh, on it, it said, costume contest, winner gets a prize. And so uh, her dad worked at Dr. Pepper. The prize was going to be a Dr. Pepper gumball machine. And all the rumors at school were true. Uh, they, they had decorated their living room with Dr. Pepper vintage stuff. Um, and there's a town in Texas called Dublin, Texas. And it's the right. only place you can get Dublin Dr. Pepper. And it's made with like real cane sugar. And okay. people go all from all over Texas to go get it. Okay. Uh, and they had one of those machines in their house. And you didn't have to pay. You just push the button. It pops out. And I remember talking with my mom and... Uh, and kids at school, they were talking about Superman, Batman, all these different, Spider-Man, what they were going to come to her party as. And I just remember she loved Transformers. Okay. Jennifer loved Transformers. Her favorite one was Optimus Prime. Yeah. And so I wasn't even big into Transformers. Mm -hmm. But I remember Dr. Pepper, Transformers, I'm going to make myself a Dr. Pepper. I'm going to transform into a Dr. Pepper Transformer. I like that. Yeah. Okay. And so my mom helped me. I got a 24-pack on my head, 12-packs on my arm. Uh, the cardboard, we used duct tape. I was a country kid. Mm -hmm. So duct tape just to make me a, a, a chest plate. And I had a shield and a sword. And I remember going to uh, her house, and Mimi opened the door, her grandmother. And Mimi said, oh, my gosh, Jennifer's going to love this. Okay. She's going to love this. Um, and so I went into the living room, got to push the button. It popped right out. I got to Dublin Dr. Pepper, go to the backyard. I'm, I'm stoked. And when the back door opened, uh, I remember being meeted, met by my peers. And I looked out, and I get blasted with a couple flashes of light. And as my eyes adjusted, I hear the sound of laughter. And I look out, and there's not one person that's dressed up. Not one. And that wasn't necessarily the worst thing it was that Jennifer said I can't believe you thought you were good enough to come to my party right next to her Tyler said um, you're worthless and then Justin the one that organized the whole thing that was kind of my notorious bully through elementary middle school said you should just kill yourself um, and when he said when she said you're not good enough I didn't feel good enough when Tyler said you're worthless I felt worthless absolutely worthless and then whenever Justin said, you should kill yourself, I remember suicidal ideation sunk in right away. Depression, suicidal ideation, I wanted to kill myself. I ran away from the party. That's the first time I ran away. I went to Dairy Queen, hid behind uh, the Dairy Queen, and just remember ripping off the cardboard, throwing it in the dumpster, and just sitting there in a ball, just crying, mm -hmm. until one of the Dr. Pepper, uh, or sorry, Dairy Queen employees came outside heard me crying they're throwing away stuff in the dumpster said oh honey what are you doing come inside um my mom uh this was before cell phones so my mom was just going to come pick me up at like nine o'clock well she goes there i'm not there i ran away so she has to go home uh hear a voicemail from me just bawling you know telling her i'm at dairy queen she gets there after dairy queen's already closed um and she was livid that that's that's whenever they decided they were taking me out of that school um so it was it, it was a blessing in disguise, but I was crushed. Oh my, my middle school crush absolutely crushed me. Oh my um, and that's probably where, not probably, that is where my heart for, yeah. for, for bullying um, comes in. Because a lot of people don't know this. To give you a few, a few of the statistics, yeah. 160,000 kids in the United States alone skip school every day because of bullying. Relentless bullying. That's three million school days lost every month. Oh my gosh. Every month, uh, three million school days are lost because of bullying. Mm -hmm. um, 
I'm from Oklahoma, or at least I live there now, and looking into the at-risk youth behavior survey, 28.9% deal with depression that affects them for two weeks or more. Of all students, 30%? Yeah, 28.9, yeah. so almost 29%. Yeah. And 15.1% uh, struggle with seriously contemplating suicide. So suicidal ideation, 7.4% have actually attempted suicide. 7% oh of the students are, in our babies, yeah, of our, our babies, of our kids. Mm. Seven out of 100. Mm. It's way too many. And, and mm. since the rise of social media and everything else, bullying has become an epidemic. Mm. I, probably whenever it came back around, um, I was already working in the Congo. I was already doing uh, some humanitarian work there. But I come back home and have my arm wrapped around my mom because she's crying. They own a photography studio. Uh, it's sports photography. But they were asked specifically to make a, a memorial for a funeral. Um, I'm having my arm around her. Um, I'm wiping tears while she's really, really crying. Um, and the memorial plaque leaves. And I was just blown away, speechless, because um, I didn't know a kid this young could know how to tie a belt and hang themselves. Mm -hmm. But the child was only nine years old. Nine years old and was told at school, you should kill yourself. Mm. So, so that's what he did. Um, I had my... Uh, was speaking with uh, U.S. Yeah. U.S. Representative Will Hurd in Texas, San Antonio. He had an anti-bullying summit, and Maureen Molak was there. And her son, David, uh, took his life. Uh, started a, a law called David's Law in Texas. Mm -hmm. We're trying to get that into Oklahoma now. Mm -hmm. But bullying is just an epidemic that, that is just... Um, what did it do to you? Wild. I'm curious, when you were... By the way, thank you for sharing this yeah. because um, I know it's not easy to do and uh, you're helping people right mm -hmm. now. And uh, just it, it shakes me just to picture you because I picture you and that child you're talking about and in these statistics. As that's happening to you, um, what could have alleviated it? What could have made it better? Did you not talk to your parents about it? Should you, if, if you're a child listening to this, let's just say, okay, and you're having, you know, I, and I also think, I think yours was severe, right? I think sometimes people are like, well, I'm not being bullied because all of those things didn't happen to me. No, if you're going somewhere and you're scared or uncomfortable to be there, or people are making you feel less than you should feel, you're being bullied. There's extensive everything in life, right? But. Yeah. Yours was, was um, not uncommon, but also very severe. What, what should a kid do that's going yeah. through something like this? Well, I think to define it is a good thing, too. Mm -hmm. So I think bullying, and, and this may or may not be the correct definition, sure. but it's the misuse or imbalance of, of power and abuse because of that. Mm -hmm. And I think, so I know a guy named Steve Hahn, who's like a leading guy, mm -hmm. um, for, expert for bullying. Mm -hmm. He says it's peer-to-peer it's -peer abuse. That's his definition. Mm -hmm. It's peer-to-peer -peer abuse. It can be verbal, physical, emotional. Um, it can be exclusion. Um, so being just like yep. cast out to the side and yep. not included in things. Mm -hmm. um, and I would say the thing that saved my life was being able to open up to a good mom and mm -hmm. open up and share. And mm -hmm. so if there's a kid listening to this right now, you've got to talk about it. Mm -hmm. You have to open up. Mm -hmm. You have to share. Mm -hmm. um, because if you don't, you keep it bottled up. I mean, let's think of Dr. Pepper again. You keep that bottled up and, and you're getting shaken up and you're, you're being bullied and shaken and hit and... And, and it's just building up inside internally, that's whenever kids turn to do very terrible mm. things with depression, with cutting themselves, with suicide. Mm. And that's not the answer. Yeah. Um, I want people to know that, that there's some incredible people that have come on the other side of it. 
Um, I, well, You're I get to be brother. with thank you, yeah. man. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, my friend Rose Namajunas, uh, she's the current UFC champion. Yeah. Um, and she's a female, and she's just bad to the bone, and she's awesome. Yeah. Uh, she's feisty and, and fierce. Yeah. Um, and and she had a brutal upbringing. Mm-hmm. And so uh, there's a fighter spirit in every person. Yeah, I hope that people, I hope the young people hearing this, because they can see you. Mm-hmm. And so I want you to understand something. If you're going through that, this is what your life can turn out. We're going to talk about what, what his life's turned out to be so far here in a minute, too, so you need to stay tuned. But there's a few things you should know, and I know you, you got to tell somebody. Yeah. And if your mom's not listening, tell your dad. If yeah. your dad's not listening, tell a teacher. If your teacher's not listening, tell a coach. And if all of those people aren't listening, I promise you, there are people that love you, that believe in you. There are. You may not see them right now. They're in your life. They care about you. They believe in you. And your life is still going to turn out magnificent. Yes, it is. And in many ways, in many ways, better because you've gone through this. Mm-hmm. You don't deserve to go through it, but it's going to give you coping skills, resiliency, toughness, all kinds of things that you aren't going to get if you don't go through it. But we want it to stop. Yeah. And whatever you do, don't ever do harm to yourself. Yeah. Ever do harm to yourself. Call, talk to somebody, right? Absolutely. Did you... Did you when you grew, is this what stopped it? I mean, what stopped it with you, or did it not stop? Uh, no, it, it did stop. I, okay. I, uh, I found mixed martial arts, um, mm. and whenever I found the UFC VHS tapes, I remember picking those up and just thinking initially, well, these guys don't get bullied. Um, mm. And so then whenever I turned it over, I remember seeing boxing versus wrestling, and Jiu-Jitsu versus Judo and sumo versus karate. Yeah. Uh, and that was back in the day whenever yeah. it, 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 they weren't cross-training and yeah. they weren't mixed martial artists. Uh, yeah. So I just fell in love with the human chess match of it. Mm. And so I found wrestling and mm-hmm. I, I started researching it, looking at it and saying like, if I could transform into one of these guys, mm. um, then I won't have to deal with that stuff. Yeah. Um, my parents uh, it makes me almost emotional like, thinking about it uh, they made a huge sacrifice for me mm-hmm. um, they got me out of that school I had to be transferred out of a second school because of bullying mm-hmm. and then they sent me to um, a school in Dallas and I lived in southwest Fort Worth my school was in northeast Dallas it was 67 miles mm-hmm. to drive every day to that school but there were two Olympic gold medalists um, that were mm-hmm. at that high school. Mm-hmm. They saw my passion. They saw it as an outlet for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I started, I was terrible. Yeah. Uh, I was, were you really? I was terrible. I, I won one match by one point by accident um, uh, in my first year of wrestling. So first year of wrestling, I was terrible. Um, guys would hold me down and laugh. As they were I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. So they would hold me down uncredible. and they would literally laugh. That's crazy. Um, That's and, amazing. Yeah, uh, it, was, it was brutal. But at the same time, I loved it. Yeah. I loved it because, I was, like, physically just working out, I'm sure yeah. you know, like, yes. you're getting rid of yeah, uh, anyway. that, that toxic stuff that's yeah. inside of you, those toxins. Yeah. Um, and so, whether that's physically or emotionally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so, I just threw myself you at did. the sport of wrestling. Yep. Um, I had two coaches that, that mentored me. Mm-hmm. Uh, one was Kenny Monday mm-hmm. um, and Kendall Cross. And they told me, write down your goals. Put them somewhere you can see them mm-hmm. uh, and, and work towards that. And they said, mm-hmm. we promise you. Start wrestling at sophomore year. Mm-hmm. And they said, we promise you. If you commit to this, we'll make you a state champion by the time you're a senior. Mm. Uh, so they told me, write down my big goals. Mm-hmm. And if it's bigger than state champion, write that down. Okay. I wrote down national champion. Mm. And I remember putting that on my mirror where I'd brush my teeth in the morning. And I put it above my bed. Mm. Um, and I put it above my bed so that way, when it, whenever I'd wake up, I'd see it. And it would be the first thing I, I dreamed mm. or thought about was going to sleep. I'd, mm. I'd be dreaming about it. Like, that's my goal, national mm. champion. Uh, they got me magazines. They saw my passion. 
And uh, they said, look, put some of the pictures of your favorite wrestling moves around and visualize that. Mm-hmm. And so I remember putting my favorite wrestling move on the left and my second favorite wrestling move on the right. And th- that would help me just think, I need to do this move, I need to do that move. Mm-hmm. Um, well, they made me a 10-time state champion, wow. a five-time All-American. And then uh, my first national championship I won was with a move on the left. And my second national championship I won was with a move on the right. Come on, and man. So they Come just told, on, yeah. man. They just told me, visualize the life that you want. Mm-hmm. And uh, Jesse, you've been through tough stuff. And yeah. they... they they knew the bullying side of they things. Did. My mom cried with them, telling them oh, about wow. it. And this is what we think is going to give them hope wow. um, and a purpose and a passion and an outlet, mm. a healthy outlet. Yeah. Um, because they knew I was suicidal. Mm. Um, they knew. Uh, did you attempt? I know you did at some point in your yeah. life. Did you attempt young or was that later in it your life? It was later in life. Which that was when I went through I know drug addiction. We're going to get through to that. Yeah. So I want to. That's unreal, by yeah. the way, that you <laughs> go from the football game with Jessica hmm. to. Is Justin Clown doing this to you again at the party, and he's involved again, to just a few years later, listen, kids and yeah. parents, a few two years, years later, later, two years later, yeah. you know, becoming a state and national competitor and champion is right. just bananas. And when you start out in the sport, you pick guys are laughing at yeah. you, holding you down. And I just think, kids, you need to know this. This too will pass. Usually what happens, I want to give you a compliment if you're being bullied. This has been my observation because it was true with me. It was true with you. And it's true with a few of the boys that I'm interacting with right now. There, uh, and actually one young lady on social media. People mistake your kindness for weakness. Hmm. And eventually your kindness in life is going to be one of your great gifts and strengths. You've turned your kindness into your mission, hmm. into your cause. And so they see your kindness is what it really is. They see your goodness and they mistake it as a child, just so you know, for weakness. Don't lose your kindness through this because it's one of your great gifts and that's what they see in you and they don't understand it. And so all kids that are bullied are the most kind, sweet, gentle kids. And by the way, we also a lot of times have the capacity to really put a hurting on somebody if we we could, but we just don't think that way. Right. And so please reach out. Please know that you should be following Justin on social media, myself and others that are here to support you, believe in you feed you positive messages and just know your life can be just like ours you're going to get through this time and there are people that love you and care about you so absolutely really really appreciate um you sharing that so you trip me out man like because we are just now getting into part of the story but i think the your past for what you've turned into should give everybody listens and even those of you that aren't being bullied you're just going through a dark depressed time yeah one of the things that would surprise most people, brother, that people ask me, what surprises you about people that do your show? And what's the commonality? Is it their strengths? Is their work ethic? And I'll say, well, I can tell you what one of them are, which is going to surprise you. Almost all of them have struggled with some form of depression or anxiety. Hmm. Is that crazy? That is so all of these max out achievers, whether they're in sports, fitness, finances, personal development, most of them at some point have struggled with down thoughts, insecurity, or worse, depression. It's an interesting commonality between people that end up building magnificent lives. I don't think that those of you that are struggling with that at 45 or at 15 should think that that's some detriment for you. It's actually maybe a positive indicator in some bizarre way on the list of traits of successful people. So let's keep going into the story because it's about to get crazy. Is there anything else on bullying you'd want kids to know in terms of their thoughts, their hopes, interacting with you or anybody else? When it comes to bullying, so I would say that, uh, man, you, you've got to find something you're passionate about to focus on, mm-hmm. um, whether you're artistic, 
um, whether you are an athlete, um, whatever it is, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's debate or chess, I mean, it yeah. can be anything. Art, whatever. Art, yeah. yeah. So um, I think that for me, it was martial arts. Yeah. Martial arts instilled wrestling and the martial arts instilled humility, mm-hmm. uh, discipline, respect, honor. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it instilled so many great things in me. Uh, and so... And there's like 3.9 million kids in the country that do martial arts, mm. and probably half of them find it because of because. they're being bullied. Wow! Um, there's so many kids that are being wow. bullied, and so I'd say find a martial arts academy. What what Fight for the Forgotten's doing mm. is we're getting in 100 martial arts academies this year with yeah. bullying prevention and character development. Mm. So we're really stoked about that. We have a we have a program called Heroes in Waiting, mm. and what Heroes in Waiting is is doing is we're we're showing the kids it's bullying prevention, but more it's character development. Okay. So what is a hero? A hero is someone who sees a need and takes action mm. immediately. Mm. So that can be an action that's big or small. It can be an action that's known or unknown. Yeah. But, uh, but man, we're, we're all heroes in waiting. We're all ordinary people able to do extraordinary things. Yes. So even if you feel right now that you're just ordinary or yeah. you're nothing special, mm-hmm. you, you are capable of so many special, extraordinary things. I, and so I'm pumped. Dude, this is going yeah. better than I ever thought because I just totally believe that. Yeah. And I also, you know, the stat that you gave earlier about how many children are being bullied, mm-hmm. if yeah. anything that does, that tells us how big the problem is, it also lets the kids know that are being bullied, you really aren't alone. There's yeah. literally millions yeah. of kids going through what you're Absolutely. going through. What I love about you, I just did a podcast on this. I say everybody in social media or personal says you, you want to have all these emotions like love, gratitude, passion, all these other things. And we do want to have all those things. But there's like a gateway emotion that if you possess it, you can get all these other things in multitudes. And that emotion is vulnerability. Hmm. Vol- if you're willing to be vulnerable in your life, it's a gateway to magnifying love, magnifying gratitude, magnifying connection with people, magnifying contribution. You're kind of the ultimate example of vulnerability because you come in this massively strong package you could whip about anyone's dude's ass in the world, right? Yet you're completely vulnerable and transparent about your entire life, all of the bad, all of the good, all of the challenges. And so that's why this next part of the journey is kind of interesting to me because it's it didn't just turn into roses after that, yeah, right? Yeah. There's still this battle that we all go through in our life. So go ahead. You're going to say something. Well, my childhood dream, whenever I was 13 years old, I yeah. wanted to be one of those UFC mixed martial arts yeah. fighters. Uh, at 18, I won the national championship in wrestling. At 19, I did it again in Greco-Roman wrestling. Crazy. And then I went straight to the Olympic Training Center, yeah. uh, out of high school to the Olympic Training Center. Um, and then I'm wrestling in Moscow. Uh, and then I get into kickboxing, kickboxing in Amsterdam. And all of a sudden, I'm, I'm invited on to uh, the Ultimate Fighter TV show. I'm the main event at the Hard Rock Casino in Las Vegas. So my childhood dream became a reality. Okay. I'm the youngest guy at the highest level of the sport. Um, when I was on the Ultimate Fighter, I was 21, 22. Next youngest guy was like 29, I think. Um, heavyweights are, are normally in their 30s mm-hmm. uh, or 40s. And so I was the youngest guy there at the highest level, all the lights on me, uh, all the reporters around me saying, you know, hey, uh, you're the next big thing or you've got this great big future and, you, you know, you got a bright future. But the thing that sucked was um, that I was hiding an addiction. Mm-hmm. I had my arm snapped. I broke it, dislocated it, tore, tore the ulnary collateral ligament. Um, and just that sent me into a spiral. Uh, mm-hmm. I was told, so my identity became who I was as a fighter. Um, like yeah. that was my identity. That was the only sense of purpose, of meaning, yeah. of value that I had. That was my only value I brought to this world. Yeah. You went from having a horribly a trashed identity yeah. as a kid to the fighter identity. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, um, 
you know, whether I won or lost, it would make or break me. Mm. Um, and then uh, if I lost, I would just, I mean, down that spiral in a crazy, it was a free fall down mm. uh, into a very dark pit. Mm. I got hooked on opiates mm. um, and Oxy was just uh, at my fingertips, being a fighter, mm. being in pain, having a, a surgery. Mm. Um, and I had three different doctors. One was in Iowa, one was in Colorado, one was in Texas. Mm. And I get 30, 60 and 90 of those. Mm. And then when I, those ran out uh, that month, I was able to go get it on the streets and mm. through different connections. And I started to wipe away uh, my memory um, and my life and my pain, probably the pain from being that child, the inner child in me. Yep. Um, and so it was a really tough place because uh, I went through probably six years of addiction. Um, wow. And, and it was, but it was off and on, but two years were really, really bad. To, to what extent? Give me an example. What do you mean by bad? Uh, bad where I was chemically dependent uh, to okay. where if I was eating food, uh, food would fly off my fork. Or not fly off, but drop off my fork mm. while I was eating um, mm. because I would be trying to get clean because I got a fight to get ready for. Wow. I mean, I'm getting ready for a professional bout against this guy that we circled a date on a calendar. That's whenever we're going at it. Mm. And so having that pressure, but thinking I'm injured. And, mm. and then I, I needed it for the pain for a short time, but I wanted it. Uh, because of how it erased that pain, that emotional pain, that depression. Mm. Um, but it got so bad to where um, I went on this eight-week binge, and I was literally hitchhiking to like two or three different drug houses in Colorado, in Summit County, um, Breckenridge area, and outside of that. And uh, woke up in some disgusting places. I was basically a missing person for about eight weeks. My mom broke into my house, found the Coke, the pill bottles, the bongs, the, the liquor bottles, everything. I was living like a pig. Mm. Um, and my best friend called. I had probably 60 missed voicemails. My best friend called and said, I can't believe this is how far gone I was. Because I was just a hurt dude that couldn't help but hurt people. Mm. And I, I think that's a true statement. Hurt people hurt people. Yes. And so I was so hurt and so caught up in this addiction that I couldn't help but hurt the people that loved me the most. Mm. My best friend said on the other line, I can't believe you missed my wedding. I can't believe my best man didn't show up. And so I was just in this very deep, um, mm. dark pit mm. uh, that I couldn't get myself out of. Mm. Um, and that was, that was a real turning point. I, I went back to my, my team and uh, I was training with some of the best fighters in the world. I mean, guys that would come through our gym were like Rashad Evans, George, George St. Pierre. Uh, I was main training partners with Shane Carwin and Brendan Schaub. Mm. Um, there were just so many studs. Stones. I mean, these are guys that whenever I was a kid, yeah. um, some of them, I had posters of, of them on my wall. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I idolized these guys and now yeah. I'm training partners with them. Mm. And I'm the youngest guy there. Mm. And I got invited in on the team. And I come back to train one time and uh, I get there a little late, but everyone's looking at me different. Coach mm. pulls me out, Coach Trevor Whitman. He was just voted the MMA coach of the year this year. Yeah. Um, has a couple champs under his belt, and uh, he's just an amazing man. He pulled me into his office and said, Justin, like, you got a real problem, and you're going to have to face it. Mm. Um, we just voted, and it was 34 to 1. You're off the team. And so that childhood dream became a reality, but it turned into a nightmare real quick, and even that nightmare was being ripped away from me. And so that was my identity. Yeah. It was who I was. Mm. Um, was that a bottom, or did that cause you to spiral further from there? That was rock bottom for it me. Was. That was right bottom for me. How did you, so you have, I mean, this is a pronounced deep addiction then that you had because yeah, you're allowing sure. it to cost you your mm -hmm. dream. Yeah. It's such a great lesson though that our identities can't just be about what we do. They've got to be about who we are. Yes. Which is what you changed, yes. right? So you went from this 
you know, really this childhood where it wasn't fair for you to even begin to think about who you were, to catching an identity about what you did. Mm-hmm. And this is the pattern I see a lot. Someone with a low identity then attaches their identity to what they do. And when that, what they do doesn't work out very well, then they're back to who am I? And I see this with athletes more than probably any other career, but I see it in business too. Someone who's constantly just building a business trying to make money to kind of escape who they are, but they never work on that internal identity. They find a way to get their life back to kind of the crappy identity they hold for themselves. Right. How did you get sober? So, well, just on that real quick, when you yeah. say with athletes, I remember yeah. getting my hand raised mm-hmm. and it would be after a great knockout or mm-hmm. a great submission and mm-hmm. people would be roaring. And I'd get my hand raised and I would think this thought, is this it? Yeah. Is this all? Mm-hmm. And I would have that thought of like, well, what's next? Before mm-hmm. I even get out of the cage, Wow. And I feel like that fueled wow. the addictions even more because mm-hmm. win or lose, when I had a reason to celebrate, mm-hmm. um, lose, I wanted to numb myself and forget about the mm-hmm. six months it took to train for this fight. And mm-hmm. I threw my life at it and, mm-hmm. and, and what happened, you know? Is this all there is? Is this, is this all this it? is? Mm-hmm. Is this it? Mm-hmm. Um, for me, man, uh, there were some guys that came into my life and really rallied around me. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, uh, they fought for me. Uh, it was mm-hmm. a bunch of good guys. Um, they ended up taking me on a retreat, um, this week-long retreat. I didn't really want to go on it. Um, mm-hmm. It was a religious thing, and, uh, and for me, uh, I didn't like religion. Um, mm-hmm. And so uh, they told me, look, come here and just experience God's love. And mm-hmm. uh, I was like, uh, that's not for me, that yeah. kind of thing, and whatever, you know, yeah. you guys. I yeah. kept them out of arm's length. Yeah. Um, but I ended up going. Uh, they paid for my flight. They paid for the retreat. Wow. Uh, they wouldn't take no for an answer. Um, they were blowing me up on my phone. I ended up going. And, uh, and my life changed. Mm. Um, I just say, this is me personally, it's mm-hmm. my faith, but uh, I encountered God, his love, his grace, his mercy. And I say, God loved the hell out of me. He mm-hmm. uh, blessed the mess out of me. And it was my, my relationship with him that, that changed my life. Amen. Um, That's awesome. Yeah, bro, it, it changed the addiction. It, like I was using the first three days, and this is what, what kind of changed me or softened my heart, kind of changed things, was that uh, they didn't judge me away, they loved me. In. Yeah. And so instead of judging me away and judging me because of my addictions or my depression or things like that, they just, they just love me in. So it was God's love that changed my life. Um, and I, I don't really share that too much as, as much as I should. Yeah, you um, should more. And I know exactly what you mean. There's this balance between us not wanting to push upon yeah, our beliefs wanna, on people. Right. But at the same time, you and I both know for us, we're saved by the grace of God because yeah. we're not perfect men. Yeah. To this day, you and I, today, oh, somewhere along the day, I'm you so, and I today have already screwed some stuff up yeah, today. Right? I'm a total work in progress. Right, so uh, am I. And yeah. so I love knowing that God's got my back mm-hmm. because I'm not perfect. I'm better with him in my life. and. And it's just our beliefs, which is wonderful. We're not pushing that upon anybody, right. but I think it's good for people to know what our foundations are. Yeah. I think that's a good thing. Yeah, that's, have theirs. that's the foundation that, that changed my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, I feel like I got a couple words there um, that my wife even speaks over me now, but it was uh, my identity. And maybe it's not my identity, but it's it's three words that I feel like describe me. And it's uh, and they kind of happened on that retreat, but it was, I'm compassionate, I'm ambitious, and I'm resilient. Um, and so my wife will even say that before I go. Uh, so public speaking is still, without a doubt, my number one fear. Um, How's that possible? Look <laughs> well, at you right now. With a speech therapist growing up yeah, and okay. being bullied and, okay. and all that stuff, it, it still is there. I, I have yeah. this habit where it comes from bullying and the kids twisting on me and stuff, but I, I pull my shirt all the time. I'm like this. And, uh, mm. and I just get nervous. My hands start shaking before I speak and share my story. 
Um, but she'll she'll text me or she'll call me or she'll say a little prayer of me and just say, hey, you're compassionate, you're ambitious, and you're resilient. Wow, so just reminding me that, hey, compassion is what fuels me and drives me. And if there's a, and I'm ambitious, big dreamer, and I want to do big things in the world, I want to help a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And then I'm resilient. Tough times are going to come, um, but but I got to dig deep and, and overcome these things. That's beautiful. It yeah. blows my mind. Not I know your background, but like you just have reached so many people with mm-hmm. both both your deeds and your words, though. You know what mm-hmm. I mean, like. That's how I found you. I mean, like I read the book, I'm, I watched your stuff, I'm like, I have to meet this person, right? Because I love that not only have you done great work, but you also give clues as to how you've done it. Like that's wonderful that your faith's part of it, the, the three words are part of it, and that's caused you to kind of step into how I found you, hmm. right? And so how did you end up, I don't, I don't even know this part of the story, right? Yeah. So how in the world did you end up with the pygmies like, how does this end up getting to this place? Like, how does a guy from, you're in Oklahoma then or Texas? The, I was actually in Colorado. Okay, you're in Colorado. So you're in Colorado. You've, you've had the fighting career. You're already a really well-known guy by that time fighting-wise. But you've had these issues. And then you end up, guys, just so you know, from where he was in his life. Imagine this. Some guy has disappeared for eight weeks. Just hear this because... You need to know your past does not define you. Your current situation does not predict your future, mm-hmm. right? So some of you are in your disappearing act right now. Like maybe you're not disappeared from your family, but you're off the radar. You're not, you're not contributing or giving, or maybe some of you are in some sort of an addiction you shouldn't be in right now. Maybe you're just listening to this or watching. Just You're not on your A game. You're not maxing out your potential, right, where you are. He goes from this place he's been describing you to you to now, you think God's not good? You think life's not incredible? Imagine if at any point where he's chasing down some more oxy that he thinks is gonna be where he's about to describe. It'll blow your mind where your life can go. So tell him where you end up and what happened. Okay, well. Here we go. This is uh, <laughs> You're not gonna believe this, everybody. Uh, I think that this is probably my first time to share this on okay. a podcast. Okay. Um, but I'll give you the real deal story. Okay. Um, wow, thank you. Yeah, so. I started volunteering, I stopped fighting uh, whenever I, I um, had that life change. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just felt like if I went straight back to fighting, I was going to go straight back to the addictions. Okay. And that I wasn't stable, winning or losing, uh, and uh, it would just be too much temptation for me to go right back to that same old lifestyle. And I would just spiral again. So I heard this quote and it said, no act of kindness, no matter how small, ever goes wasted. No act of kindness, no matter how small, ever goes wasted. Mm-hmm. And it's nothing that that great, but uh, I mean, it is profound. It was yeah. profound to me in a way that it was like, that's what I got to yeah. do. Yeah. Um, that's that's what I need to do. And so I started volunteering at the the local um, children's hospital. Went through night training and started doing that. That's what you do, yeah. man. That's so. Yeah, that's awesome. So I mean, it changed it changed my life. It changed my life going and, and visiting the kids and just pushing the wheelchairs around and just serving them, just whatever they need. You get a kid with stage four cancer, you know. Um, Man, um, just yeah. seeing that, that'll change your perspective. Sure they'll, they'll change your heart. You'll yeah. leave there. There's many times I left there just crying, yeah. um, just heartbroken. Yeah. Um, and other times I left just inspired, like, wow, that, that fighter yes. is so much more of a fighter and warrior than I, yeah. that's what I aspire to be like, yes. that six-year-old kid right there. Yes. Yeah. Um, and so yes. That, that started to change my life, working at the rescue mission, working at um, uh, local at-risk youth uh, mm. associations, and just... Uh, just, just starting to try to help out in whatever way I can. Mm-hmm. But I didn't have a job. And so I was broke as a joke for 11 months. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I remember just 
barely being able to pay bills, um, almost getting evicted, all sorts of different stuff where it was a really, really tough time. It was the most rewarding and fulfilling time also, mm. uh, but it was also really tough financially. And I just felt like I was more of a shotgun where I was like, I'll go do this and I'll go do that. And I'll go do this and I'll help here and help there. Mm-hmm. And this is fulfilling. So I'll just keep doing it. Yeah. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll find my niche of where to help eventually. Um, but I felt like I had this inner desire of I wanted to be more of like a sniper. And I wanted to have a focus and I yeah. wanted to be like, this is the difference that I'm going to make. Um, but I didn't ha- have a real way to find the pygmies where mm-hmm. I was going to go and live with them. Um, but I... I found myself in a place really broken and uh, and confused. Uh, I actually got offered my favorite fight, um, or as a goals list as a kid, I had number one or number three was fight or be a national champion wrestler. Yeah. Number two was fight in the UFC. Yeah. Number one was fight at the Satama Super Arena in Tokyo, Japan. Okay. So after a year of fight uh, taking off, I get offered a fight me. at the Satama Super Arena in Tokyo, Japan. But something in me felt like it wasn't the right time. Time. So I ended up saying a prayer, mm-hmm. and I said, God, what do you want me to do with my life? If this isn't it, like, what, do, what am I going to do with my life? And I know that this will sound, like, really out there and really wild, um, but it's just what happened. So um, uh, I'll share it. And uh, it's, it's, I'm really reserved sharing it normally. Um, but uh, say a prayer, God, what do you want me to do with my life? And I, I, I swear to God yeah. that I had a vision mm-hmm. where it was like a movie in my mind. And I saw myself in the rainforest and I was walking down this footpath and I heard drumming and I'm walking and walking and I hear singing, this very distinct singing that was almost like yodeling. And I'm clearing thickets out of the way and then I open up into um, a clearing. First guy I meet, he's got ribs poking out and he's coughing and he's coughing and I know that he's sick and I see these other people and I know that they're poor, they're sick, they're hungry, they're thirsty um, and that they're enslaved. I know that I know that they're enslaved. Um, and so I come out of that vision and, and wow. two things happened. Uh, and it, so I did a lot of visualization at the Olympic Training Center yeah. before my fights, before wrestling tournaments. But this was unlike anything I'd ever experienced because it was so vivid, so real. It was like I was there almost. And I come out of that and I cry and I cry and I cry. I cried a puddle, not a puddle, but whatever the size of tears is. Um, and I just, I just couldn't stop crying That's for these amazing. people that I don't know. That's so um, I don't know who they are, where they are, anything about them. Um, but I knew that they felt forgotten. So I wrote down forgotten on a oh, piece of paper. Oh, come on. Yeah. So I wrote down forgotten. Come on. And right underneath that, poor, hungry, sick, thirsty, oppressed, and enslaved. And, um, and... Three days later, I meet this guy named Caleb, and uh, I tell Caleb this vision because I found out he's a kind of wild guy. He's gone all over the world doing humanitarian work and missions work, and um, and Caleb it was best friend or not best friends, but he he knew Bear Grylls mm-hmm. really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's gone through his training. I think Bear Grylls wrote the forward of his book, and okay. um, I'm like, well, this guy's kind of wild and out yeah. there. He's a travel world traveler. I'm gonna tell him this vision, but I'll 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 be honest. For three days before that, I felt crazy. Yeah. I, felt, I mean, I had experimented with LSD right. and, and psychedelics yep. and uh, psilocybin and, and all sorts of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but this was unlike any of those visions. Like, mm-hmm. this was so real and so different. Mm-hmm. Um, but I struggled with it. Who would I ever tell this to? And they're going to think I'm nuts. Yeah. And I felt a little nuts. Yep. Like, what was that? Was that a mental break, a lapse? What, what happened right. to me? But I tell Caleb, and he kind of cracks a grin, and then he leans in. And then he, he stopped me uh, as I got through it. I didn't get to the forgotten part. I told him all the other stuff. 
And he goes, Justin, those are the pygmies. And I said, who? And he goes, they're in the Congo. And I'm like, where? And then I start telling the rest of my vision, and I tell him forgotten. He goes, Justin, if there's anyone that's forgotten, it's the Mabuti pygmies in Democratic Republic of Congo. Um, he had been there a year before. He was supposed to go in three and a half weeks, but he, um, he was taking a team of three other guys, um, and all they were going to do was a vision trip, a scouting trip, uh, a, a trip to just assess needs and see if they could meet any needs, uh, see if they could help them in any way. Um, and the rebels had taken over the airport that was there. And so they couldn't fly in there. The U.S. State Department said, no one go there. It's a no-fly zone. Don't go to Congo for any reason. Um, his wife had talked to him and said, Caleb, I don't think you should go on this trip. The rest of the guys are husbands, fathers. They all backed out on you. You can't go alone. The very next day, I tell him the story. And he goes, if this isn't a sign, I don't know what is. And he goes, let's go. <laughs> he goes, if you go, I'll go. Um, so we jump on a plane together. <laughs> we, we jump on a plane together with a buddy named Colin as well. Um, and we go into the Congo, we land on a runway that's grass, um, and we're actually circling it, and they were clearing it with machetes before we land, um, and monkeys are jumping off the runway and other stuff, and so it's, it's wild, it's crazy. I, I'd never planned on going to the Congo, I didn't really even know where it was. I didn't know about the plight of the pygmies, um, and as we get there, we, we get out of the plane, we drive for like three hours, then we start hiking for maybe a, an hour or less, maybe less than an hour. But as we're hiking, I, both these guys know the story. I have the piece of paper with me that says forgotten on it. Um, we're walking and hiking into this village. It was an unknown place to us. And all of a sudden we hear drumming, we keep walking, then we hear singing. Then as we come into the clearing, the first man that we meet uh, has his ribs poking out. He's got tuberculosis. Our heart breaks for him. Uh, we meet the people and, uh, and my heart just, shattered for me. So Caleb and Colin, they like grabbed me and they go, bro, this is your vision, this is your vision. I remember just squatting down into like a full squat, having my hands on my face, knees, elbows on my knees, and just being like, why did this happen? Like, uh, what am I doing here? Um, and the chief uh, pulls this aside maybe like three days later, and I'm still trying to digest this. Why am I here? What are we doing? Um, and he says, Everyone else calls us the forest people. And this was like kind of the confirmation that this vision actually happened. He said, everyone else calls us the forest people. We call ourselves the forgotten. And when he said forgotten, I just, I just started to cry. Oh, my gosh. I just started to cry. And, um, oh, my gosh. So I was there for a month. Um, and I ended up going back again. Uh, and the second time I'm there, uh, my plan was just live with them, listen to them, learn from them, and then figure out the best way to love them. So listen learn and love them, you know, or live with them, listen to them, love them. And so, um, come on, man, that, that, that's unbelievable. <laughs> I mean, it's amazing. Like, well, like, like, you should tell that whole story like all the time. Like, yeah, it's long though. No, <laughs> so, no, it's, and it's a little wild. Um, well, even where we're going is going to be wild in a minute, yeah. but like, I didn't know that. Like you basically, like, that's well, hard for me to process all of that. That's that's an unbelievable confirmation of a vision, yeah. and and uh, and for me, man, to let you know, like I don't share that often, but but you just seem like we've connected. Thank we, you, brother. We, 
you seem like a safe place. Thank uh, you. And it feels like just a conversation between Thank us. You. There might be some people who think this is wild <laughs> and crazy. And that's okay. That. That's okay. It, that. it was crazy. That, it's, um, what it is is it's such a great confirmation of no matter what your beliefs are, that there's mm-hmm. something bigger than us. Yes. And that when you dedicate your life to something bigger than you, like he and I have strong core beliefs about something very specific, bigger than us. But for you, whatever it is, there's when you dedicate your life to something bigger than you, oh my gosh, does your life become magic? And when you can get outside of yourself and start to serve other people, I love that you just started out kind of shotgunning, just serving people. And then this prayerful state and to have it become so real. But with all due respect, on top of that, you took the actions, man. Hmm. Like you went, you did the work, you made pay. Oh, I was there for a month and I left. You were there for a month in the Congo. But I just want to be clear. Are you telling me that prior to this trip, you really weren't familiar with the Congo and who the pygmies were or any of this? Uh, honestly, Caleb was the one that told me. About this is, uh, this, so, it's, the, it's, come on. It's, and, I had no idea who they were. I had no idea who they were. And well, so, there's, there's people listening to this that have had prayers in their life or dreams. And the only thing I'll tell you, whether it's a prayer or a dream, just so you know this, you belong in your dream. I talk about this all the time. Your dreams, your prayers are not hallucinations. They're not jokes. They're not some gotcha, wouldn't that be neat. They're a glimpse of what your destiny could be. Hmm. Could be. It's a picture of what your life could be. Frankly, should be. Doesn't mean it will be. Because there's some things you would need to do to have some faith, some conviction, some action to go. Like you went on the daggum flight there when everyone else backs out. That was an action you took. But these dreams that you have, these visions, these prayers, I'm telling you, listen to me. They're a glimpse. They're a picture. They're a snapshot. For me, they're God's way of sort of just whispering real quick. Stay. Mm. Take a look. I can't show you all of it, right? That's what it is in our lives. If you don't believe that, it's at least a vision. If you don't believe that, it's your dream, okay? I promise you, you belong in those pictures and feelings you get. So then you come back. What happens after you come back this next time? You decide to do that, to to serve, to love them, to listen? Yeah. So that was my second trip. And what happened really was the third to last day I was there, there was a little boy named Andy Bo. Um, And I remember... uh, cupping the back of his head or actually it was underneath his mom's hand um, and I was holding his little hand and, and uh, she was holding his other hand and that's when blood started coming out of his ears um, and for sure that's when he passed away um, and it was just because he didn't have access to clean water um, and that that forever changed me um, it gripped my heart it uh, ripped my heart apart Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it punched me right in the mouth yeah. with, uh, with man, uh, my problems, my first world problems oh aren't really all that bad. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I think so many times here we'll put our problems under, um, under a magnifying glass yeah. and that's all we see is our problem, our problem, our problem. And then I think whenever we could step back from it yeah. and look at the bigger picture of the world, yeah. um, our our problems can actually shrink in size so much to where you might need a microscope to go find them. Gosh. And how do you do that, everybody? You're so brilliant, bro. The way you just need to jump on this, yeah. like you're so brilliant about this. How do you do that? Because you're exactly right. The way you do that is you go serve people. Yeah. You do something because, like you said earlier, when you're at the children's hospital, you can't possibly be with a seven-year-old boy who's got stage four cancer. Yeah and not have some perspective about how pro- small your problems are. You can't possibly comfort a mother who's got a daughter who's three years old with cystic fibrosis who can't breathe 
and worry about whether you got enough likes on your Instagram or whether you have enough money in the bank, right? right? Or you didn't get a promotion. There's right. this perspective. Yeah. And so you did these things, yeah. but, but bro, like it's just, it's incredible. So this boy dies literally in your arms mm -hmm. and you're like, I'm going to do something about this, right? Well, it changed me mm. in a way that uh, I couldn't sleep. Um, I would be thinking about him. I'd be thinking about his dad that passed away because of dirty water, his other brother that died because of dirty water, his mother that was sitting there. And, and in their culture, sometimes they're, they're topless. And, mm -hmm. and I could see every um, bone in her sternum and her ribs. And she was starving. She was sick with what, the water crisis. And they literally were, had been enslaved and, and people there were literally killing them for no reason. Witch doctors telling them if you can have sex with the pygmies, you'll cure yourself of HIV. So people come to the witch doctor with HIV saying like, hey, um, I have HIV, how do I heal myself? Go rape a pygmy. Um, Congo's the rape capital of the world. Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, one woman every one minute is raped in the Congo. Um, which is absolutely astronomical in comparison to any other country. Mm. It's a weapon of war there, and the pygmies are, are the least of the least, and they get treated um, less than human. The belief is that because their average height is only four foot seven, mm. that they're half man, half animal, um, that they're 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 part monkey, and mm. all sorts of wild and crazy stuff, yeah. and they're treated like animals. Mm. Um, so I came back and started saying, well, and, and started brainstorming with some people and saying, how could I go back and make a real difference, like something practical. Um, and started working with the locals there uh, on it uh, and developing a team saying like what can we do community development wise mm -hmm. um, and this kind of went back to being you know compassionate ambitious resilient like how can we put compassion and love in action mm -hmm. how can we be ambitious and dream huge and how can we live to love and fight for people mm -hmm. like if I could do two things in my life that's what it is live to love and fight for people mm -hmm. and it's like how can we come up with a real game plan that would work and so on that other trip, we, we sat down, we, we, we casted a vision saying we want to do land, water, and food initiatives. Okay. Um, but how can we do that in a, a way and, and what was that going to take? And it was like, it was going to be at least a year-long trip. that we got to go live there for a year and really implement, work with the locals. We wanted to uh, equip them with the tools that they needed to do the community development. We wanted to educate them with the knowledge to be able to put it into action. And we wanted to empower them to be able to do it for themselves. And so we helped build a team. Uh, of, of locals um, so that way they can do it for themselves. What I kind of have said um, is that opportunity is greater than charity. Charity can be great, mm -hmm. but opportunity is just always better. It just always is. Wow. And so how do you empower people with opportunity? Mm -hmm. How do you open their eyes to an opportunity that's sitting right in front of them? Mm -hmm. And so, um, and how do you use what you have to get what you need and what you want? And so um, it was awesome. We got to partner with some great uh, organizations. I got to go back with, with well drilling tools and, and train a team of guys and I got to live there for a year and, and help them drill 13 water wells. Awesome. Um, and what they taught me was, uh, and that team has now gone on to drill 77 or more. Awesome. Um, and so what, what they say there is a Swahili proverb and it's so powerful. Mm. It's so powerful and this might be for the kid that's being bullied that feels all alone mm. um, or it might be for, it just... It can be for so many people, it's, it, it, it translates in so many ways, but it says, if you want to go fast, go alone. Mm. If you want to go far, go together. <sighs> and so that's a Swahili proverb that just started to, to change me and say like, I'm a fighter, right? And so I'm used to doing things on my own and being independent. I'm used to sit at the lunch table by myself, but it's like, 
if we really want to make a difference, we got to come together. And that's going to take us farther. So if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Oh, my goodness. And so the team and I were able to, to, to lobby and petition and go on behalf of the pygmies and say they need land. They have no land ownership of their own. And so we're able to, to lobby and get back, um, purchase back in their name, their tribe's name, strongest thing in Congo courts. On the local, state, and national level, we're able to get back 3,000 acres of land. Um, 3,000 acres of land that's theirs. And so we bought 2,470 acres, and then another 500 acres was given to us. Amazing. Um, and that's their land. We were able to establish 10 new villages of Mabuti Pygmies living there. We are able to use water uh, to literally, uh, and there's a short film on this on our website, fightfortheforgotten.org. Okay. So fightfortheforgotten.org. Fight but the short film is powerful because the, the Pygmies are there sharing their own plight and their story, mm. uh, their struggles, and then, and then the transformation that happened. And so just getting land and then water, water literally was a tool that we used um, with even some of the slave masters to say, look, your kids are dying of dirty water. Um, the slave master's kids uh, were dying. Uh, the slave masters were living on it. They weren't wealthy in a way that mm. we think of it in mm. colonial times and sitting back drinking sweet tea and having mm. a, a hundred slaves for one family. Yeah. It was, they're making a dollar to a dollar 25 a day. So they're literally suffering in, in, in such drastic poverty. Mm. And so it was like, well, what if we could come in and drill water wells for you, for you guys? Mm. Um, would, that, would that change your lives? And they're like, that would save our lives. Mm. Our kids wouldn't have to go collect water. Mm. Um, they could go to school. Our wives wouldn't have to sit at home. They could go to work. Um, mm. And so water changed everything for them. Mm. Uh, so we did land, water, and now they started up their own farms. Oh, my uh, God. And so they were able to, to start farming for themselves for the very first time. It's the first time the pygmies have ever gone to the market and started selling corn and beans so and awesome. uh, bananas um, and all sorts of stuff to where they're able to now buy their kids clothes for the first time. <laughs> and then they're able to send their kids and pay school fees oh my to God. send their kids to Perfect. school for the first time. Um, and so, and, and this is what I want uh, people to hear is like, okay, well, two things. We're all heroes in waiting and we can all make a big difference. Yeah. But also, I'm not the hero of this story. I really am not. Um, the people that inspire me, they're, they're my heroes, the people in the field that did the work that are there day in and day out. Mm. Um, some of my best friends, some incredible people mm. that inspire me every single day, my brothers. Mm. Um, and uh, they even told me this Swahili proverb, and this could be for anyone out there, mm. um, but it's, if you think you're too small to make a difference, try to sleep in a closed room with a mosquito. <laughs> and so, yeah, it's, it's tongue in cheek, but it's, it's, so it's uh, if you think you're too small to make a difference, sleep in a closed room with a mosquito. Mm -hmm. And so for me, that means so much more because I've had malaria now three times. Uh, the first time almost killed me. And so, uh, but, but a little mosquito, less than a gram, right? And I'm a 265 pound, six yeah. foot three yeah. professional athlete. Yeah. A mosquito kicked my butt worse than anything ever could. My goodness, man. Um, and, uh, I mean, I was... That like, is powerful. Yeah. By the way, you've had malaria three times. You yeah. just said out loud. You mm -hmm. heard that, right? Yeah. 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 That's but pretty, it's all worth it. That's pretty incredible, yeah. brother. You um, want to go fast, go alone. You want to go far, go together. together. And so, uh, I mean, guys, come on. I mean, have you ever heard anything like this in your life? I mean, you're... Thank you, as we keep going here and we're not done. But I know that people are... It's hard to drive right now because there's water in everybody's eyes, hmm. right? Everybody's crying. But speaking of water, yeah. we would like to help you go far together. And so I know people, I know, I know the Max Out universe. I know the people that listen to this. I know that they're a compassionate, giving, good group of people. 
if they wanted to go together with you in any way possible, how would they, is it, should they go to fightfortheforgotten.org? Is that where they'd find out more? If they wanted to donate or contribute, they could do that there as well? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So we have, we have some big dreams and goals, you know, I've been doing this since 2011. Um, and I drilled 13 wells. That team has, has drilled 77 now. Um, but now we have a goal to, to fund and drill a hundred water wells this year. And mm. so um, it's it's going to take a lot of work. Mm. Uh, we're 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 trying to raise a, a ton of money. Um, but uh, we want to drill 100 wells, and we want to get into 100 martial arts academies with bullying prevention curriculum. Yeah. So we want to do both. We want to make a difference here and there. Awesome. Right. And so why do we have to choose one or the other? You we, know, we we can do both. Right. And so I just love that uh, that we're going to make a difference in our own community here in the United mm. States because kids need it, and then kids need clean water. Mm. A lot of people don't know that there's 1,800 kids every day. 1,800 kids under the age of five years old that die because they don't have access to clean water. Mm. And so we want to combat that. There's a lot of great organizations out there. Um, I believe we're one of them. And so fightfortheforgotten.org. People can donate. They can contribute there. Uh, if, if you can't donate physically, you can also rally a team. You can start a crowdfunding page on our website. Mm. You just say create a team or, or start as an individual. And we've seen, we've seen little guys do some incredible things where they're able to raise $5,000 for their fifth birthday or something oh like that. Oh, my gosh. Uh, because they wanted to sacrifice getting the gift of... of uh, birthday gifts to give the gift of clean water and different things like that. Well, you downplay it, but you've done incredible things. And so uh, you're not going to say it, but I will. I think it's it's an emotional for me. It's why I wanted you when I first started the show. Mm-hmm. For me to picture this little boy who's sitting alone at lunch getting pizza and chicken nuggets thrown at his head and nobody will talk to him, to the guy at the homecoming game, to the Dr. Pepper party, right, to the drug addiction issues. Mm-hmm to do all this. I mean, what can you do, folks, listening to this? this what could you do when you start to hear what this man's done in his life? And he's right. He's, there's all kinds of people that have helped him. But he also had the courage when he had that prayer, when he had that dream, to start to take some action and then take more action and more action. I think giving to people and contributing, and by the way, I don't give and contribute like you do. You're, you're a different level man than I am. And I admire you so much. But I do know what it's like to contribute and to give. And yeah. I know how I know that that's the only place in life where you'll feel fulfilled yeah. is to give to other people. You can be happy temporarily doing other things, but to be fulfilled is to find something you love that you're passionate about to change other people's lives. And you're doing that. And I just have this sense that we're going to come back in about 10 years and we're going to even look at this time in your life and we're going to talk about even how small this was compared to what you've done in the world 10 years from now. I just have this sense that this is the beginning of your story, but it's not the end of your fighting story though. Yeah. So you end up deciding to come back and now you're fighting for Bellator. You signed a five fight deal with them. Yeah. You've had three, is that correct? Mm-hmm. You've won all three of those fights. Yeah. So don't forget, you forget, don't you everybody? <laughs> now there's this amazing athlete. But I think that I think that something's changed in you, maybe like your reason for doing it even. So yeah. You now know there's several million people listening to this who are like, okay, I'm rooting for that dude in the cage. So, like, why did you come back to fight? And, like, what's that all about? Like, you, you, did, you need, did you do it just to help with this cause? Or why did you do it? That was the main driving factor. Good. I was not going to come back to the sport unless we were going to make a difference. Mm. Uh, and unless I was going to be able to actually physically fight for people. Mm-hmm. So my wife and I, we actually um, decided when I came back to the sport that any time I get a win bonus, um, that we give that. 
And so there's a show amount, there's a win amount. So you get, yeah. and this isn't to yeah. pat myself on the back, but it's it's literally how I get to fight for people. And so uh, if you get $100 to show up and fight, normally you get $100 to, to win mm-hmm. uh, or something like that. You yeah. know, just ratio. Yeah. 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 Um, and so in this next phase of the contract, uh, when I win, I win for them. Mm-hmm. And I get to give that away. And so mm-hmm. there is no deeper motivation for me to go out there and put a whooping on somebody then, man, we're going to knock out the water crisis. Man, we're going to stand up and we're going to speak out against bullying. And i got to win this fight. Like, uh, it's just, it's, I think a lot of, and you probably could say this, um, speak to this, but uh, there's probably a lot of peak performers out there and high achievers that you've got to raise the bar. Yeah. You've got to raise necessity. Yeah. I mean, I know the Olympic gold medalist out there, you know, wanted to do it for their mom that passed yeah. away yeah. or the memory of this person yeah. or because they're going to make this difference. Yeah. Um, it's not just a sport. Yeah. Um, you've got to add more to it. Yeah. And so for me, it was like, I'm not going to come back and play games yeah. in, a, in a fight. I'm going to come back and I'm going to be driven by purpose and passion and I'm going to have a fire in my eyes. You were literally fighting for these people, fighting for these. It's like, See, to me, it, it, your lesson is right on the money because I have this theory that the person with the biggest reasons wins. Hmm. And so, wow. you, know, you know, I don't think all the time people think, well, there's internally unbelievably motivated people. No, you have huge reasons. Hmm. If you're willing to have the courage to attach how much you love your family and your children to you winning in your business, you have a much more greater chance of winning but most people don't let themselves get that vulnerable mm-hmm. again where they'll attach big reasons because you might lose. Right. You know, For you to say, I'm fighting for these guys, that's a vulnerable thing to say. It yeah. jacks up the reasons so when you win, it's greater and for right. a bigger purpose, but you're taking a bigger risk by saying that, yeah. right? And so it's the lack of vulnerability that cheats us out of all the riches in our life. And the person with the biggest reasons wins almost wow. always in life. You have huge, that. huge reasons. I just respect you so much, man. Like, and you do other things. Does other things. I respect like, you so much, brother. Thank I you. I mean, I'm thank so you. blessed to be here. Uh, it's, I really am. This I can. Awesome. I can assure you that today is my blessing. I can assure you, and your willingness to share um, the prayer that you had and the vision. Mm-hmm. I just want you to know moves me greatly because I think even at this stage of my life, I think we all have this. You can call it whatever you want. You can call it an epiphany. You and I know it's a prayer, right? a blessing, a vision. You can call it whatever you want. Okay, yeah. you can, I'm driving you up an epiphany. But often, we all catch ourselves every once in a while with a glimpse of what our life could be. It might not even be a picture of what it is. It could just be a feeling about ourselves we wish we felt more of. Hmm. More confidence, more peace, more faith, more gratitude, more love. Or it's an actual physical picture. Very few people acknowledge this is a vision that I could be or that I could have or that I could possess and then have the guts to take the action, right? That's what I admire about you. But you do this in other areas too, so I just want to talk, because I think it's a metaphor. Oh, he uh, climbed Mount Kilimanjaro, (laughs) by the way. So just so you all know, like on top of everything else, like to me, that's a huge metaphor because you're not a little dude. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I have this theory, and I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but I think the bigger you are, the harder it is to climb a big-ass mountain like that. I'm just curious, on top of everything you've done, it's not the most important thing you've done, yeah. but it, it, it does symbolize many things in someone's life that you've climbed this. So talk about that experience there, who you did it with and what it was like for you. Yeah, so I did that with uh, Water Boys, yeah. which is a, a great charitable organization mm-hmm. that Chris Long is the founder of. Mm-hmm. Chris Long won the Super Bowl with the, the Patriots two years ago, the Eagles last year. Mm-hmm. Um, he's an amazing man who donated his entire salary last year mm-hmm. uh, to education here in the United States and mm-hmm. to the water crisis. Um, and he rallied around some great influencers, NFL players and military veterans. Yeah. Um, and man, 
to be honest, like it, it was really tough. It was really hard. Yeah. Um, but we were all driven by purpose mm. with every single step. Mm. We were raising money for clean water. And with every single step, someone, someone in a village that needed clean water was, was going to get it. Mm. And before the day before we left, we went to a school in Arusha and there was 2,200 kids that had no running water. I mean, it was, we helped them fill their water canisters for the day. Mm. I remember filling up a kid's uh, water jug for the day and it was a paint can. Uh, someone else and it was motor oil. Um, and that they were using these leftover, thrown away um, jugs for their own drinking water. Mm. But we were doing it with literally filthy, disgusting, diseased mm. uh, brown water, dark, dark brown. And, mm. and mud was floating in it, and there was insects in it, and there was like these little worms that were inside their water. Oh um, and I know because I've had some of the sicknesses they've had, but there's amoebas both in your stomach and in your brain. Literally, uh, there's there's a, a river blindness that can literally have these bugs that go and attack your retina, and you can go blind from from the river water. Um, there is all sorts of parasites and worms and things that these kids have, and they have these big bloated stomach mm-hmm. from from the dirty water. Um, and so, going and seeing those kids and knowing that hey, because of this climb, these kids right here that we get to know that we get to meet they are going to have clean water and they're going to have clean, healthy bellies and bodies. Mm. Um, And we're going to help build better lives for them. Mm. Man, that was a driving force propelling us up the mountain. (laughs) I mean, propelling us up the mountain. Uh, Nothing was going to stop us from getting up there. Again, if you want to supercharge your life, you you just do this stuff so well, but if you want to supercharge your life, you just load yourself up with the biggest reasons. It makes you superhuman. Either your faith backing you or compelling reasons. And if you combine the two, oh my gosh, can you accomplish anything? What's it like when you get to the top? I'm just curious. Hmm. Uh, gorgeous. Uh, gorgeous. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was my favorite though, yeah. was on summit day. So summit day, uh, you start at midnight. Mm. We didn't finish until 8 p.m. So it was a 20, that's a 20 hour day, right? Yeah, 20 yeah. hours. Yeah. It was brutal. And we had this stomach bug that we were passing around to nice. each other. So yeah. we were vomiting. Oh and my God. Diarrhea. Yeah. I mean, it was brutal. Yeah. Um, all of us got something. Uh, four of us of the 14, I think four, maybe three, uh, didn't make it to the top mm-hmm. um, because we were just so mm-hmm. sick and passed around this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember waking up and getting out and we got to get up at like 1130. The stomach bug hit me at 1145 oh. uh, before midnight, before we start climbing. But I remember looking out and there was this part of the mountain that it was almost in a 360 degree like angle or view mm. um, that all you saw was stars mm. uh, above your head. And you're uh, like, you, you, I can't really explain it, do it justice, yes. but it was just so magnificent. Just thousands and thousands of stars. There's no light pollution out there. Mm. And so every angle except for your feet, right? Except for where the mountain was under your feet yeah. um, and, and one part where the peak was. I mean, you could just see stars all around you. Gosh. And so it was, it was magical. It was uh, magnificent. And, so, and then when we got to the top, some of the guys dug so deep. Um, Elliot Ruiz, he's a guy that uh, has shrap metal all in him. Um, mm. There's been three Broadway plays made about his life. Mm. One of them was nominated for the Pulitzer Prize. The other one won the Pulitzer Prize. Gosh. And uh, him and I were, I, I ended up getting to the front and then coming back to be with him because we were both sick. 
Um, but he dug so deep. They wanted him to turn around. They wanted him to quit. Mm. And by the time he got to the summit, he had tears streaming down his face that were freezing, freezing to his face. Yeah. Um, and he made it to the top. He gutted it out. Mm. And uh, he was just driven by purpose. Yeah. Driven. He had, he had more reasons to win. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it, was, it was an incredible moment. And uh, some of the best group of, of the, one of the best groups I've ever been around in my life. So many inspirational people. Chris Long, Stephen Jackson, running back in the NFL, Connor Barwin. Um, yeah. So it was... Uh, Some big men, too, by the yeah, way. Yeah, big dudes. Yeah. I just think, first, I think you are compassionate. I think you're incredibly ambitious. Your resiliency is off the charts. I just think you're just amazing, man. I just, I think your life is amazing. I think you chase contribution. You chase moments. Um, you're not a perfect person, which no. I think makes you real and... Mm -hmm. That's true inspiration. If you were just this deity, this perfect guy who does everything in his life pristine, I think I don't think people think they could do it. I think the fact that you are real about who you are gives people hope. Hmm. What would you say to somebody who's listening to this? Who I mean, I think I might have the best person on earth, one of the best people on earth, to answer ask this question. What would you say to somebody who's watching this who says, "Man, I want to change my life." You know, if I could get two minutes with Justin Wren, and I could ask him, I, I want to change my life. I want to make a difference in the world. I want to become happier. What counsel would you just give somebody who has that burning desire in their heart but doesn't know how? Wow. First, I would say, man, I am so far from perfect. Mm -hmm. I, I still have so many struggles. I have battles. I have demons I have to keep at bay. Um, I am a man that has to fight for his marriage at times. You know, marriage isn't easy. Mm -hmm. um, but I love my wife with all my heart. And... Uh, and so there is, there's a lot of tough stuff I, I still go through. Yeah. Um, but I would say, so I think I had it backwards. Mm. I, wanted to, I wanted to love my life, and, um, and that's okay. It's a good thing. But I think, I, so I, I sign my book, and I say, live to love, love to live. Mm -hmm. And so I think that one has to come before the other. I think if we live to love, we will love to live. But I don't think it, it happens without living to love first. So living to love others, mm. um, living to, to serve others. Mm. And whenever we do that, whenever we get outside of ourselves, there's, it's, it's hard to keep looking inward at our problems and our struggles because we're driven and motivated to, to help others and love mm. them. So I don't know that that's the answer. I think that's a beautiful but, answer, yeah. brother. If you live I, to love, you'll love to live. I think that it's what you do. And so that's why I think it's the best answer. Mm. It's like my observations of you, that's what you do. I love people that are complicated. Mm. And I consider you beautifully complicated. Okay. You're, you, have these tremendous, you have these tremendous contradictions about you that I think are fascinating. And what I mean by that is the Lord gave you this incredible strength and size and some athletic ability, yet you're this super gentle, kind, giving man. You can be somebody who's been sort of self-destructive to themselves but build up other people so well. And through building up these other people, you've sort of turned yourself around into this, I think, magnificent man that I admire, that inspires me. And I also want to tell you, I want our friendship to grow and to continue. Mm -hmm. I want to be able to help you and contribute, and you're going to help me. I can just tell this is, you're, you're someone I want in my life. And um, I want you also, and I don't mean this motivationally, and I don't mean this as like a lead-in. I want you in the lives of the people in my audience. I trust my audience with you. I really want them following you on this journey. I want them holding you accountable. Yeah, well, I want them great. rooting for you and praying for you because you're out in front now. And I think you have an obligation now to even live greater. 
And, um, and I think you have the capacity to do it. I think we're scratching the surface here. So I want them rooting for you, praying for you, following you, and contributing with you too, and holding you accountable too. Yeah. So how do they do that? What's the best place to find you? Is it your social media probably? Yeah, yeah. probably. Where, so, where, yeah, it's I mean, not, it's, it's the big pygmy. Or, it is right? the big pygmy. I okay. forgot to see, even share that, but yeah, they, yeah. Gave me, they gave me two names. It was okay. Efeosa and Mabutimangbo. And so you gotta okay. say it like that. But okay. Efeosa means the man who loves us. And I, that one wow. uh, means so much. It's a treasure to me. But then Mabutimangbo means the big pygmy. So, Is that what uh, yeah, means? Okay. The big pygmy. So okay. I used to be the Viking in fighting. Yes. And you yes. can kind of see why. Yeah, you but, can see uh, why. Yeah. Yeah. But on social media, uh, on Instagram, it's at the big pygmy. Okay. P-Y-G-M-Y. Yeah. And they should follow so, you there. That's the best yeah, place. Yeah, that's the best okay. way. Or just go to our website, fightfortheforgotten.org, and you yeah. can find the links to all okay. my social so media. So on the video version, we're going to put these on the screen, but many of you are listening to this than the audio version. Um, are you going to fight again soon? Oh, yeah. We have any idea when? So I don't have it on the calendar yet, yep. but I'm looking for May or June. I had a shoulder okay. surgery that I'm coming back from. Okay. Uh, I feel strong, feel good. I just need to get the muscle memory back. I need okay. to get the conditioning there. I need to get my weight down a little bit. Yeah. Um, and then I'm ready to go. So I was uh, in the running to be in the eight-man tournament for the Heavyweight yeah. World Championship in Bellator. Yeah. I missed that because of the injury. And uh, then I was going to be an alternate. And now it's like, you know what, let's, uh, let's keep fighting. I'm, I'm technically on a six-fight win streak. Okay. And uh, just going to want to keep that rolling yeah. and um, fight for a world title. That's I'm rooting for you. And you're fighting for all these people, too. Mm -hmm. And so um, we all want to fight with you, man. I'm mm -hmm. just uh, moved today. You know, I had huge expectations for you because I knew who you were. But meeting you exceeds them. And that was difficult because I held you in such a high regard even before we began. So thank you so much yeah, for thank today, you, Justin. Brother. I just I love I enjoy, you, man. I love you, brother. Yeah. I really do. This like awesome. I just thanks for being so open today too. And for all the audience here, please follow him. You already follow me. If you're listening to this, subscribe to the audio version of the podcast, subscribe to the video version, share this with people. This one you gotta share, everybody. You know that. And also I'll remind you every day on, on social media, on Instagram, when I make a post in my main feed, as you know, we do the max out two-minute drill. And in that two-minute drill, uh, everybody who posts with a hashtag max out in the first two minutes daily, I pick a winner. Books, gear, coaching call with me. Would you do one like a 10 minute one that could meet yeah, you? Yeah, absolutely. 10 minute call with Justin. Sure. Just closed him. Without a so doubt. you can meet Justin. So all you got to do is make a comment on my post every day within the first two minutes. If you miss the first two minutes, just make a post every day. We pick somebody at the end of the week who posts all the time. So make comments on my Instagram feed and please spread the word about max out. Today was uh, selfish, was for me. And so I hope everybody else enjoyed the program, but this was for me today. And I hope all of you listening in got the same inspiration and um, conviction in your heart that I have to go be a better version of me, to be a better man, because this man in front of me is leading the way. So thank you again, man, so thank much. You. God bless you, everybody. Max out.